Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, and I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. This is episode 86 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Emily Tricarico. After graduating from the University of Hartford with her bachelor's in early childhood education with a focus on behavioral studies, Emily attended graduate school at Long Island University CW Post. 2010, she received her master's in speech-language pathology. Emily began her career working with medically fragile children who have impaired speech-language and feeding skills within the home setting. After her fellowship, she became an early intervention supervisor and began training clinical fellows on pediatric feeding evaluations and therapy. Currently, Emily is the lead speech-language pathologist at an acute care hospital where she not only assesses and treats patients with communication and swallowing impairments, but she also develops new hospital programs and provides in-services to staff. In addition to her work as an acute care therapist, she is also working in the acute rehab setting with both adults and pediatrics. She is also working towards her board certification in swallowing and has recently become a member of the Inner Circle Leadership Program. Hi, Emily. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me today. Of course, my pleasure. All right, so... Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have you here because I feel like there's like so many things that I want to talk to you about. But like, <laughs> like, first of all, I think what's so funny is like, I feel like I've like met my match when I like talk with you because you're like someone that just talks like a million miles a minute. And like, yes. if you want to get something done, you get shit done and you ask mm-hmm. for it. You don't sit back and wait th- for things to happen to you. So that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today, which I just love. Right. So I super appreciate that about you. But I met Emily recently because, well, I've known her for a while, but I she came into my life because she joined my Inner Circle Leadership Group, and we loved having you, so um, I got to know her even better now, and I love the projects that she's undergoing, and she's going to talk to you a little bit about them more today, but I'm hoping to maybe do another one of those groups later in the year. I don't know. We'll see how see how things go, but all right, so Emily, why don't you tell people who you are first? Great. So I'm from New York, which is probably the reason that we like to talk fast and just get things done. So I'm an acute care therapist primarily. I work in a small 220 bed community hospital, but I also uh, work in the realms of early intervention and the Committee on Preschool Education. So I evaluate children birth through five who either have speech language or feeding impairments. Uh, And part of that is I partake in service qualification meetings. On top of that, I do some private feeding therapy with with kids birth through three. I'm trying to start a fees business at the local ENT office near my hospital. I volunteer at Dr. Eric Blicker's fees courses and, and let people pass on me to get more experience that way. Um, and then I also became uh, joined the Inner Circle Leadership Group, which I feel that everyone needs to find someone who pushes them and holds them accountable because I think that is really an invaluable thing. And, and in the last couple of months, you know, I, I've really grown uh, as an SLP uh, and as a businesswoman just just because I'm held accountable. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Emily. I don't think you're somebody that needs accountability, but, oh, thank I, you. <laughs> but I totally get you. I mean, it's just, it's incredible what having, you know, it's so funny. We're all off on our own little dysphagia islands and it's like, oh my God, you're trying to do the same thing I'm trying to do. And 
you know, it's we're all trying to get these same programs going in our own facilities and in our own lives and things. And it's so great to know that there's so many other people out there that are experiencing the same roadblocks and things like that. Mm-hmm. So exactly, exactly. And I, I think part of what part of what we're gonna talk about today is is why we need to be those people who who reach out for change um, and how we can't just expect things to happen to us. We need to fight for them. Yeah. Can I um can I just throw one thing in here? Can you tell everyone what you just did yesterday? Yes. So uh, I'll show you, I'm actually going to talk about <laughs> oh, this a little bit. Okay. Later. But yesterday I, well, on Friday, I talked to the person who is in charge of buying everything for our hospital. There's just the supplies, like to- tongue depressor, you know, syringes, that sort of thing. And I talked to her about how we have these lemon glycerin swabs. And I don't even know why we have them in the hospital. No one can say what we use them for except nursing who uses them for oral care which is obviously not appropriate. They were happy to get rid of them because, you know, we're spending a lot of money on it and they also think it's gross. Uh, So I went to the head of nursing yesterday and I told her I would like to get rid of these. She asked, what do we use them for? I said, we don't really need them. We have, you know, other appropriate means of cleaning people's mouths. And she said, all right, we'll get rid of them. And it was kind of just that simple. Yes. I love that. I mean, I think people try to make things so difficult. Like, I had this conversation with a girl the other day. She's like, why does our facility keep buying these? And I'm like, I don't know. Why do you go ask them? Like, do they know that there isn't actually any like research to support you using these anymore? And she's like, well, I don't know. I'm like, go ask. Like, yeah, I mean, there, there is none. And I I think it's just one of those things that got away from us. It's probably something we advocated for originally. Right. right. Uh, And one of those one, you know, like the chin talk, we were great at advocating for it. So everyone knows it. Right. uh, But there's just no evidence based of why why we're using it. And I started off just telling nurses, let's not use this, but you can't get to everyone. And so finally I thought, why don't I just go to the source right, and have them not even available for people to use. Right. Right. So if people aren't familiar, what we're finding is that lemon glycerin swabs are actually drying out the oral mucosa. So it's doing kind of almost more damage than it is good because it's just moving around the bacteria in the mouth. It's actually not scrubbing it and getting it out like a toothbrush and toothpaste would. So if you're Mm -hmm. wondering why we need to throw them away, that's why. (laughs) That's why. And also they promote uh, uh, tooth decay. So some of our patients do have natural dentition and we know with decaying dentition, that's a big predictor for aspiration pneumonia. And so if we're decaying the teeth even more, then they're at even more of a risk. So, all right. Bye-bye lemon glycerin swabs. Yes. Well, that's the perfect segue into what we are going to talk about today, Emily, which is what? So I'm here today to talk about advocacy and interdisciplinary education. So why we need to advocate for what we, what we want, what we need and how to go about that. All right. You know, and I think one thing that I, you know, super respect about you too, is that, you know, you're not afraid to tell people like, if you're dissatisfied at your current job, like go look elsewhere. Like you're, you're outspoken about how much you love your job because you feel like you're respected and listened to there. And that's so valuable. Like I was, I was having this conversation with my husband last night about, you know, having each other's backs and professions, you know, and it's like, if you feel like your boss doesn't have your back. Like, that's a horrible, lonely feeling. You know, same thing if you feel like you can't have a conversation with the doctors in your facility. Like, that's a horrible feeling. So I love to hear that, like, you found this job where you feel valued and respected and Mm -hmm. it's allowed you to flourish. You know, I mean, look at all the programs that you're getting pushed through and getting done. So I love that you're going to kind of talk about this. I'll I'll let you talk a little bit more about it, Emily. But she called an in-service for all all of the physicians in her facility last week, and it went wonderfully. So... It's it. It's it. So I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, definitely about job satisfaction. 
I, I know a lot of times we think, well, I found this job. It was so hard to get into the medical fields. So I don't want to leave because I want, I need the experience. But if it, you know, if you're doing things right and you bide your time, you will get the job you want. And why do you want to stay somewhere where you aren't happy? Yeah. Cause I've been in jobs like that and I left and honestly it was the best decision I ever made. So I know it can be scary, but it's definitely something that people need to consider that maybe your facility isn't the right place for you if you're so unhappy. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So let's get into it. Okay. Um, so, so the first thing I'm going to talk about is advocating for change and how this can be done at the facility level, at the system level, at the state level, or it really has a lot of applications. So all SLPs uh, can and should be advocating for the appropriate changes. Um, and there's a really great quote that comes to mind whenever people tell me that, you know, they, they want to push through things, but they're afraid. I, I, I think speak your mind, even if your voice shakes. And that's what Maggie Kahn said. And I think, you know, we, we really have to be, not be afraid of, you know, rejection or some other things, but we have to do what we need to do for our patients. Yeah. So why is advocating important for what we need? Well, first, our, const, our field is constantly evolving, evolving, sorry, and healthcare in general is rapidly evolving. So we're the specialists. No one's going to give us what we need or what we want unless we ask for it. Right, we're the swallowologists, we're the, the specialists. They don't know, no one knows swallowing the weight we do. So they don't know what we need. All right, so in an article published by Hall et al. in 2001, uh, they discussed how specialization allows for an in depth exploration of issues by a specific discipline. It means that no one healthcare professional can meet all the needs of a patient. So this is why specialization, this is why it's so important. You know, your GI is going to have some idea about swallowing, but they're not going to know all the things that we know the same way pulmonary won't. But we also don't know everything a GI knows. And those, we don't know everything that the pulmonary doctor knows. So it's really important that we bring our expertise uh, and help share that with other people. Okay. So advocacy, what are we afraid of? This is something you know we hear all the time. I, I'm afraid to do it. Yeah, it's such a good point. Such a good point. I mean, and, and what are really the main things people are afraid of? They're afraid of public speaking? Okay, great. Then go out and educate one-to-one. Say you're really great at reading the research and putting together presentations, but you hate public speaking. Work with a colleague and you make the PowerPoint presentation and then they present it. You can do it that way. Are you afraid of not sounding smart? If you research and you read and you review the literature and you reach out for help, you're not going to sound stupid. There's just no way that SLPs with all of our education can sound stupid if they have the research to back themselves up, yeah. right? That's what doctors want to hear. They don't want to hear just your opinion. They want to know that it's, back, it's backed with research. You know, keep in mind that they hired you for your expertise um, and that doctors and nurses are consulting you because they want a specialist. They need you to tell them what you need to do your job. They don't know what we need. So they, they are expecting you to let them know. Right. And really, what's the worst that can happen? They say no. Right, right. That's that's the worst thing that could happen. And guess what? They can say no, and then you can keep telling them, and they're probably going to say yes eventually. Yep. <laughs> probably. So then if you look at our, our scope of practice and you review the literature, you're going to see that in our scope of practice and the statement's purpose portion of our, our scope, ASHA states that we should be working collaboratively. Now, to this, this doesn't mean to me just collaborating for one patient, this really means collaborating for all patients, right? And in an article I read by Craddock et al. in 2006, they stated that interprofessional collaboration 
and practice is defined as members of one or two professions associated with health care, engaged in learning with, from, and about each other. So really that, again, doesn't mean just one patient. That really means across the board to help all of our patients. Uh, and then Bridges in 2011 stated that knowledge between professions allows for a better understanding, shared values, and respect for the roles of other healthcare professionals. So in other words, collaboration will help you to be more respected. I love it. Because I think, you know, I think a little bit goes a long way here. You know, it's like if you show that you're that much interested in something that another specialist is doing in the facility, then it's probably going to be reciprocated. Mm-hmm. You know, you making Absolutely the effort well. to go and ask, like, why do you guys do that? Like, I'm, I'm really just interested. It's interesting. You know, I, I just want to know more about, you know, then those are kind of the relationships I have with like the respiratory therapist. I'll just ask, you know, I'm curious why you guys do this. And they they'll respond. And then we have that kind of open relationship now. Well, they'll ask me, you know, I'm really interested. What are you looking at when you're doing the fees? You know, so it mm-hmm. just leads into this natural progression of learning from each other. Absolutely. Doctors say to me all the time, oh, I didn't know you could do that. I mean, there's things they had no idea about. And the same with respiratory therapists. The other day, I saw someone who the the bag around the tracheal suction was inflated. I've never seen that before. So I asked a respiratory therapist and she said, the suction just got pulled out too far. So the pressure increased on the vent. I had no idea, but I was not afraid to ask um, because they ask me all the time. Yeah. You can't know everything. Right. (laughs) Uh, And that's why it's important to reach out to to specialists and, and other specialists view us the same way. Right. So if we go back to the scope of practice, ASHA actually outlines five domains of professional practice. The first one is advocacy and outreach. The second one is supervision. The third one is education. The fourth one is administration and leadership. And to me, a leader, and I'm pretty sure Teresa agrees, a leader is someone who goes out and fights for the things they need. Um, it's not necessarily running a department or you know seeing the most patients. It's about going out there and fighting for what we need as a profession. Yep. Absolutely. And the fifth one is research, all of, all of which kind of leads back to the importance of interdisciplinary education and advocacy. So, so now that you know all of this, right, I have everyone convinced that they want to make, make their facility a better place. So now what do they do? The best advice I can say is just start, right? Pick a place and just start and you can go work around there. So first think about the area of need. Do you need new equipment? Do you need a new program or something of that nature? Then I want you to think about why what you need is important. All right. Then you're going to think about the best way to get it done. Now you have to take in mind, keep in mind your audience and, and the way you like to present and the way you like to speak. So is that an in-service? Is that one-to-one education? Is that an email? You definitely want to do something more on the formal side. You don't want to stop a nurse in the middle of whatever she's doing to educate her. I don't find that to be effective. I think then they're hearing about 5% of what you say. So I think that the best way to do it is in a formal way, you know, prepare the, the audience that you're going to be educating them on, on this, but really, however you want to do it is, is fine. You just have to start. Yeah. I think, I think that's such an important point. Cause I know there's so many people that are like, Oh my God, I hate doing in services or like, I hate public speaking. And it's like, well, do you have any type of relationship with that DON? It's like, oh yeah, we sit and have our coffee, a break together every day. It's like, well, that's a perfect time to have these kind of mm-hmm. conversations, you know, do what feels right. And what like feels okay with you. It doesn't, you don't have to 
call an entire conference and stand on stage for five hours. Like it doesn't have to be like that. So absolutely not. I mean, I, for, for me, I actually find that better because you get a lot of people at one time, you don't have to say the same thing over and over, but not everyone is comfortable going out and speaking to, you know, 20 doctors at once. So in which case, absolutely do one twenty. If you're even afraid of speaking to them in person, send them an email, ask them what the best way to educate them is. You know, some people might like an email. Some people want to talk to you face to face. Um, so you really have to think about your audience and think about yourself. Okay. So, all right, now, you know, all of this, now, you know what you want to do. You have a time, you know, you have, uh, you know, something set in mind that you want to get it done. So now how do we get it done? Right. First, you're going to create a timeline, right? That could be a week, a month, a year. It doesn't matter. Then you're going to research. You're going to review the literature. You're going to prepare and you're going to research again. Because again, we want to sound smart. We want to sound like we know what we're talking about. And the more you read, the better you're going to sound. Then you're going to reach out to colleagues, colleagues who you know, specialize in that area or have done it before. You want to reach out to them for help. Then you want to create a presentation in whatever form you, you want to present it in. So are you talking a PowerPoint, a proposal, a handout, something of that nature. Then you're going to set a date and you're going to stick to that date. Right. It's really important because we don't want to keep procrastinating. I'm a giant procrastinator, but if I have a deadline, I'm going to do it. Yep. Right. And then you're just going to bring it. You're, you're just going to do it. And after you do it one time, you'll realize how, how not scary it is. Yeah. And how well receptive, how well, what word am I trying to say? How well received, received. it was. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. You will, you will see that. I, I promise you, uh, everyone listening that if you just do it, you will get great feedback and you will build your confidence to keep doing it. All right. So next you're going to just carpe diem. You're going to seize the world, right? You're just going to do it. Um, you're going to do more, not only for your patients, but for our whole field. Okay. You need to advocate because no one else will do it for you. You know, the doctors aren't going to advocate for you. The nurses are definitely not going to advocate for you. Neither is administration. You have to advocate for yourself. So think about Gandhi's quote, be the change you want to see in the world. Mm -hmm. Right. And, And the best piece of advice I ever got with regards to my career is be invested, right? administration, especially with doctors, nurses, medical professionals want to see that you're invested in the place you work. They don't want someone who's just going to come in, see their patients and leave. Um, those aren't, that's not a good investment of a, of a clinician. They want people who are going to be invested. So this is a big step in the right direction. If you're fighting for a change in your facility, that's showing that you're invested in that you want to stay there. Yeah. You're not going to give something to, to Sally who walks in, who's been there a day and asks for a whole new fees tower and doesn't show that she's invested. They want right. someone, they want to pay to have you be there for years and to right. work there for years. I think that's one of the kind of the issues with getting fees equipment in a lot of these places is that like administrators have said, you know, oh, well, our last like three SLPs have left within, you know, a year of coming here, you know, so you do have to prove that you are there for the long haul. You are invested in in mm-hmm. making it because they really don't want just another coat rack hanging around. So no, they don't. And so many places say that, yeah. you know, we bought that and now yeah. it's sitting at room. Yeah. We hear it all the time. So really part of your ad- advocacy, if you're asking for something that costs money is you need to prove that you're going to be utilizing that equipment. All right. So now we're going to talk about merging the medical wor- worlds, why we're um, car paying the DM, right? Um, so Hall in 2001 stated that specialists have a poor understanding of each other's roles, which can cause anxiety, conflict, and ineffectiveness as a team. 
Some team members may not realize the other's potential contribution to patient care and will underutilize their expertise. So this is another reason why that multidisciplinary education is so important. And what I'm going to now talk about is using the segue framework. So this was created by uh, McCool and is actually used by physicians to teach physician-patient communication. Now, this is something I do when I'm educating doctors or administrators um, to kind of set up the the presentation so that it's most effective. So I'm kind of turning it around on them and using something that they all know and they all believe in to teach them. Okay, so the segue framework, it's S-E-G-U-E. So the first is to set the stage. So I'm going to talk about it as if we're educating the administrators or the physicians. So set the stage. You're going to introduce yourself. You're going to provide the reason for education. And you're going to let the audience know that you're here to start a discussion, not to undermine their knowledge. I think this is something a lot of people are afraid of when they speak to, you know, especially doctors. You know, they're going to think that I know it all and they don't know anything. Absolutely, you're not. But guess what? You do know more about swallowing than they do. So you're there to educate and start a discussion, not to teach them everything that they don't know. And and I think doctors really respect having a conversation, not just being spoken to. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. So the next one is elicit information. You're going to ask the physicians or the administration or the nursing audience their current thoughts on a topic. So what do they want to know more information on? What do they feel that they don't know? So you'll get a good baseline about where their education is because you don't want to talk down to them. You're not going to educate them the way you would educate a family member because they do have a lot of medical knowledge. So you want to make sure you're speaking to them at their level. And next is G. So you're going to give information. This is your time for education. This is the time to let yourself shine. Then you to understand the person's perspective. So you're going to listen to their thoughts. You're going to answer questions and you're going to be respectful. I can't stress this enough that when they talk about their concerns, they're coming from a different place than you are. So I recently spoke to some doctors about feeding tubes and the advanced dementia population. And their biggest concerns are, you know, how are we going to hydrate them? Said the nephrologist. So that's his main concern. The ICU doctor said, how are we going to give them their medications? So we have to respect that they're coming from a different place than we are. And their concerns are not our concerns. So that's why this, this part, I think, is actually the most important part of this framework. And then lastly, you're going to end the encounter. You're going to summarize. You're going to give them your contact information because the whole thing is you want to start a discussion with them. You want to now make yourself available. So when I educate doctors, I give them my cell phone number. I say, call me anytime. Text me anytime. Reach out to me whenever. And doctors do. Ever since I've done that, they, they call me at all hours yep. to talk about patients. And I have a much better... I have much better communication with them and much better collaboration on patients with them. Yeah, I love that. Then also let them know you're happy to continue that discussion. That's really important because you're not going to educate them all on everything in that short amount of time. You want to open up the the lines of communication in the future. Yeah, I think that's so important to give that invitation. Like I am so willing to talk to you, you know, anytime. I had this one doctor that I really couldn't get a vibe on like I was like I'm not sure if he hates me if he likes me like I'm really I'm not reading this vibe and I feel like I have a good intuition of people and he actually like two weeks later had texted me and he's like I'm sorry if this is inappropriate but like I can't stop thinking about this patient and I think you might be able to help like what do you think and I was like I'm so glad you reached out like I'm more than happy to help and I was like let's talk about it and he ended up calling me we talked for like an hour and it was such a wonderful conversation but he's like you know thanks so much for approaching me that day and giving me your number like same thing 
He's like, I had no idea on the SLP's involvement in swallowing. Like, this could change everything for the patients in this facility. And I was like, yes, absolutely. Like, that's why I did it. Like, <laughs> yeah. so... Yeah, I recently, when I did that presentation recently, there's a doctor who's known for being kind of kind of tough. And you, sometimes you can't get a read on him. He plays devil's advocate. And about two minutes into my presentation, I he started asking all these really tough questions and I had a limited time frame. So I, I got really nervous. And you know, he asked tough questions. I had the answers for all of them, but I was, I was sweating. And by the end, he said, you blew my mind. No one changes my mind and you totally changed my mind. And then I heard him discussing with another doctor or something. And he said, well, you know, I think what she's saying is great for most patients, but you know, that patient up in, in, on that, that unit. And he goes, no, you heard what she said. We're doing it all wrong. And I totally changed his mind. And so sometimes you wouldn't even know from some of these doctors who have these really tough exteriors that they are the ones who are really willing to change as long as you know what you're talking about. Yep. Yep. I think that's what, that's the key. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So now I actually thought we could talk about some of the current problems in healthcare as it relates to speech language pathology. These are some opportunities that the listeners can think about uh, for change in their facility. So what some of the opportunities? Oral care is a huge one. We need to be fighting for that. That is not anywhere near where it should be in any facility I've ever been in. Do we need to advocate for fees or MBS uh, or both? Do we need to advocate and educate on feeding tubes and some of the adverse effects? It's not a, a one-size-fits-all treatment. Do we need to educate on aspiration precautions? Do we need to ask for materials? These are some of the opportunities that I see every facility I talk to someone about or every facility I've been to. These are places that more education is needed. So advocating for new programs and providing staff education make us also more of a presence. It makes our profession look good when we're invested. Oh, so now I've actually thought I would talk about a case study for advocacy. Yeah. Right. So the, what I want to talk about today is an acute care hospital that had one SLP on staff for several years. So SLP then retired and the SLP with only six years of experience in various medical settings started. I always listen to your podcast all the time, Teresa. I always think about how sometimes all of these people haven't been working that long. And it's really the quantity of ex- quality of experience and not the quantity. Absolutely. Um, so sometimes those, those younger professionals make more of an impact than people who have been working a ton of years. And like I heard on Taylor's podcast recently, it's really important for those two types of SLPs to come together and work together. So the SLP that was in this hospital before she retired, did great work on educating the doctors, but then didn't really advocate for other needs in our field. So then this this SLP with six years of experience came on and really started advocating for more. So three years after this acute SLP started, the hospital now had MBS. Yes, you heard me correctly that that acute care hospital didn't do a modified barium swallow study for years before the new SLP came on board. Um, And something... We discussed earlier about fighting for what you need or leaving on that interview that SLP said, well, if you're not having MBS, then I can't accept this Yes, I tell people that all the time. They're like, what's like a most important interview question you should, I should ask. And I'm like, ask you, ask them if you have unlimited, unrestricted access to instrumentals. And if they tell you no, or if they tell you yes, then you leave. Like, Mm -hmm. and if they say, you know, well, we let you send one or two a month, you still leave. Like, no one needs to tell you how to do your job. So Mm -hmm. that's my super rant for the day. 
You, you, you can't be I, in acute care SLP without some instrumental. And I don't think you should work in a sniff either without it. I really, truly no, don't. I agree with like, you. I, I, I completely agree with you. Now, if you accept that job or if on that interview, you say, well, you don't have it now. I'm going to need that if you hire me and they say, yes, then go for it yep. because then that's a great opportunity for you to build a program. Absolutely. But if they say no, go run it. Yep. Go, go run it. <laughs> I agree. So yeah. So three years later, MBS, there's now a PMV program. Also, there were no speaking valves used before. Now nursing and services are being provided about how to identify the need for an SLP. FEAS is getting started. It was accepted. They're just waiting for funding. And they're, they started doing physician education, right? So who is that SLP? Of course, that SLP was me. In the last three years, I've got this done and got rid of these lemon glycerin swabs. I presented recently to the doctors. And if I wasn't comfortable speaking and asking for what I want, our, my patients wouldn't have MBS fees. Speaking valves wouldn't have nurses knowing how to identify us. So I wouldn't be building my caseload. My caseload was small when I got there. So now it's, it's large. I can't even handle it. And then, you know, the doctors wouldn't be getting in-services. They told me they had never had in-service before. No SLP has ever come to talk to them on the grand scale. She, she would, someone else would talk to them, you know, about a, about a patient or in the hallway, but they never had this. And now they want me to keep coming back and educating them. So I really thought that, you know, myself was a great, great example. And was it hard? Absolutely. Did it take three years for all of this? Yeah, it did. Because you have to balance seeing patients and advocating for what you need. You know, sometimes advocacy can be a full-time job, <laughs> but so it takes time. You, you can't do everything at once, but it, it can be done and change can come. And how does it feel now, Emily? It feels great. Yeah. I have everything I need. And I'm actually lucky that I accepted a job that the program needed to be developed because now I have all of this experience in starting new programs. I've built my confidence and now I know how it's best done in my facility. Yeah. I love it. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on SwallowYourPridePodcast.com, where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills, and thank you so much to all of you for listening.